0: Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal.
1: And from Vine Pair's New York City headquarters, I'm Tim McCurdy.
0: And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And yes, I know the question on all of your minds. It's not Adam. It's not Joanna. Cocktail College's own Tim McCurdy. (laughs) Thanks for stepping up as a a last-second pinch hitter here for Adam. He will hopefully be... uh, with us in a few weeks but uh you know things are progressing he's uh taking some time away from the mic which uh well deserved and uh we hope to have more information for everyone soon but things are things seem fine for the moment so tim thanks so much
1: no my pleasure and yeah things are things are fine on that front no news yet but we're we're eagerly anticipating it so all the best to them if they're listening
0: (laughs) i hope not really please do something else with your time (laughs) the rest of you yes but but adam and naomi specifically no don't (laughs) So, Tim, I, it actually is mildly serendipitous that we have you on uh, this episode, just in that we will be uh, focusing on the, you know, well, I guess not really your homeland, but, you know, adjacent kind of yeah. for this episode. And we're, we're here to talk about what I, in my perhaps kind of hot take, think is maybe the perfect beer, which is Guinness. And I think that for a couple of reasons. I think Guinness does a thing that I'm not sure if any other beer in the world does, which is that it is an acceptable beer for literally everyone to drink. Like I think it has, it is a obviously a very large production beer. It's available worldwide in, in almost any format you can imagine. And yet it doesn't catch, I think really any of the flack that other very large scale production beers do, but it also doesn't carry a lot of the sort of like elitist snobby uh, overtones that, craft beer can sometimes have that other small production european beers can have it's just like if someone says they don't like guinness i i mean i guess maybe you don't like stouts or something but like do you kind of get what i'm going for here like it's just it is a beer that seems to have like near 100% approval rating i could not agree
1: with you more if you were to start a brand you would want that brand to be guinness right like if you exactly. you'd want it to reach the guinness level like you say beloved by everyone, and those who don't like it are almost apologetic about it. They're not like, oh my god, you like Guinness? I hate
0: Guinness. They're like,
1: oh, actually, I actually I don't like Guinness, you know, like they're yeah, apologetic. I know something
0: like, is wrong with me, but I don't like Guinness. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's, it's also, you know, within the beer conversation, we know that ownership matters to a certain sector of beer drinkers, right? This is owned by Diageo, that's, you know, obviously public knowledge, but I find that sometimes in the spirit space, you might find bartenders who maybe are less inclined to like some of their brands because it's such a big conglomerate. But again, no one seems to care when it comes to Guinness. Everyone loves it. So, And then, yeah, just in terms of as a product, as a beer, it's fabulous.
0: Yeah, it's a great beer. We're going to taste some in a little bit, because I actually was realizing as we were prepping for this episode, I actually haven't had a Guinness in a while. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, perfect occasion to uh, hear on St. Patrick's Day, which obviously all of you listening to this know, but, you know, just just reminding you, it is a, a particularly fitting topic and, and toast for the day. But also, I think you're right. It's, it's not just that people kind of don't hold the current ownership of Guinness against it, but in a lot of ways, I think Diageo has been really savvy in maintaining the sort of spirit of Guinness and finding ways to kind of carry it forward. So I would love for you, Tim, to talk a little more about the piece that uh, ran on the site today about the sort of specific history of Guinness advertising, because I think a big part of why it has the beloved place and sort of iconic place in drinks culture here in the US and, and globally is the advertising, which isn't always true for other products that are heavily advertised.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to say this is a piece that I've wanted to see come to life for so long. Um, and it's written by Maggie Hennessy. She's a fantastic writer, one of my favorite writers to work with. Um, and it's all about the history of a one particularly iconic Guinness ad, which is called Surfer. But it also looks into Guinness just marketing throughout the years. And I think this is a large part of the conversation we're having today. Um when I was editing this piece, there were some links to the, the the specific ads. So the surfer one, but there's another one. I can't believe that it's escaping me now. But it's essentially a man racing the pouring of a pint of Guinness, Marco okay. versus pint. And that took me back. So those came out in 98 and 99, respectively. And the way that that transformed... I'm going to, you know, reveal my age here, but that was my childhood. (laughs) And the way that that transported me, sorry, back to my childhood was just incredible. And, you know, the company took some real risks with the surfer ad in particular. So for those who are not familiar with it or need reminding, it's set on a beach and there's a couple of surfers and it has this very kind of, I don't know, how would you describe the baseline that pumps as this thing is, the the tension is building? Um, it's kind of how would you describe that, Zach?
0: Um, I think you would call it like maybe sensual, visceral, maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's maybe actually maybe that's better. Yeah, like yeah. it's very it's 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 actually it's like heartbeat adjacent kind mm. of.
1: And you have then the narrator with this incredible, um, you know, this thick. Scottish accent reading aloud a Moby Dick poem these guys go out to surf this 50 foot or some people say 80 foot wave uh you know these these things do get maybe exaggerated over time and then the wave transforms into these white horses and it's just I mean there were two versions of the ad there's a 60 second one and then there was one which was 120 seconds which is half a second longer than it takes to pour the perfect pint of Guinness, which is also just incredible. And you don't actually see Guinness or hear it mentioned until the last second. And just Mm -hmm. to do that, and also, as Maggie mentions in the piece, like, to lean into the fact that it takes longer to pour a Guinness, Mm -hmm. something that maybe had been, they hadn't wanted to advertise before because, you know, like, that's not something you want to boast, that it takes longer to get, but to lean into that, I don't know, I, it's just so iconic.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think you can in some ways draw, I mean, obviously the ads and, and moving it into that sort of televisual medium is one big piece of it, but you can even draw back to like the historic ads. You know, I think of them, like they, they often had like two cans, right? Yep. Um, like the print ads and stuff like that. And just, they had a sort of like cheekiness to them, but also, but also like a, a sort of substantive quality which is kind of a weird combination of the two and i think i think that's one of those things where you just kind of think about how you know in some ways you it would be very easy for a beer like guinness to end up siloed in the way that a lot of other irish beers are or irish even not not so much whiskeys but like cider etc like oh yeah you know we have a huge like mid-March is our big time Mm -hmm. and every the rest of the time we kind of just exist on the peripheries or we're, we're in, you know, the Irish bars and things like that, but we're not really ambient or present in American culture year round. But Guinness has, I think obviously kills it this time of year, but manages to be present in all kinds of bars year round that you might not think for something that could, like I said, easily have been relegated to that, uh you know kind of holiday adjacent uh period and and or sort of culturally uh specific bars and pubs
1: yeah it's it's fascinating too and i've i've actually got a question for you here because when yeah. i was uh of legal age drinking age but you know early in my sort of drinking days we would go to specific pubs based upon how good their guinness was and I don't know of any other beer where that's the case, right? I mean, I think as you get into beer, specifically craft beer, you start thinking about things or you maybe know like how clean are the tap lines or whatever. But to go to a pub for Guinness, I don't know, is that is that also a phenomenon over here or is that a, a kind of British thing?
0: That's a good question. I will say that without being able to relate to that specifically, maybe because it wasn't something that I did in particular, but I do think that another thing that, to some extent, distinguishes Guinness and you talked about it even in the advertising is is that the pour is so essential. And again, you know, now we think about nitro beers and the, and the texture of beer being a little bit more a topic of conversation, certainly in craft in some senses. But Guinness really transformed the idea of like what a pour of beer could be or should be that it could be something that a bartender should spend time on should think about. And obviously, in a lot of cases, they've had to invent or introduce technology, but, you know, specifically in cans, yeah. and whatnot to facilitate that, because, you know, the truth is, is that obviously, a lot of Guinness is sold is sold over draft, but a lot of more of it, I'm sure goes in cans and bottles. And getting that, you know, when you spend a lot of time hammering home, the importance of the pour and of the, the sort of setup of the beer, well, you have to give the person drinking at home an opportunity to at least come close to that without a high degree of technical, you know, kind of expertise. (laughs) And so, again, I think there's all these ways in which Guinness has made itself into this, you know, it's, it does something too that we've talked about on this podcast a lot, which is it makes itself feel like a kind of a luxury product, right? The the you know you have the special you know kind of uh, pour technology in the can and you really you know kind of are trying to get it to look a certain way and you know the visual appeal of the of the pint is or of the pour is a big part of it right it still looks good you know even in by today's hyper uh sort of uh with with so much attention being paid on how things look mm-hmm. it still i think holds up very well and you know the the texture itself right that sort of silky nitro pour texture is Really appealing and not always matched by other beers
1: yeah and and to your point as well about the, the you know the long pour, it's kind of a marketing tool in a way too, right? Yeah. If you go to a pub or a bar that's known for its Guinness or where you'll find a lot of people drinking Guinness, and you have the people pour it three quarters of a away and then let it settle and then start on the next one, if you go to a bar and you see all those. I'm going to drop something here, a proprietary thing. I like to use the plural ginai, which is uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a word I've coined. But yeah, when you see those pints lined up, it's phenomenal. It's this marketing thing. It's kind of like a server walks through a restaurant with four espresso martinis on a tray, and then suddenly that's all the bartender's making for the rest of the night.
0: Well, as I've relayed on the podcast before, for me, the drink that always did that to me as a bartender was a Spanish coffee, right? Oh, yeah. Anything that you see the bartender laboring over, it has a sort of like, just like a Pavlovian response for people. are like, oh, I want that. And of course, the Spanish coffee has the added element of being on fire. So that's obviously a big appeal. But yeah, when you see a bartender rip, you know, 30 pints in two minutes, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's the one they're spending two whole minutes on themselves. It, again, it, it just sort of signifies to people like, yeah, that is a that is a beer that I should be, you know, I should treasure. And even if we all kind of know that Guinness is obviously very widely available, uh, you know, thank you, Diageo. Yes, but uh, it's it's definitely still because of the pour, because of the the setup, and because it kind of is a little bit um, like let's put it this way: it is distinct in the category of incredibly widely available beers. Obviously, there are other Irish stouts. There are other people here in the US making beers that are somewhere between homages and ripoffs of Guinness, but it's ubiquity. The fact that you can find it in, you know, airport bars and, you know, dive bars and places just all across the spectrum of drinking, and it is this very distinctive beer in that setting, makes it, I think, again, just, just you know, it's obviously iconic, but also, in a way that some things that have kind of that iconic status don't manage to do, I think it really does manage to live up to that, uh, to that image. But the only real way to know this for sure is that we got to drink some gas. <laughs> so I have one of the uh, one of the classic fourteen point nine ounce cans here. Is what do you have, Tim? Yep,
1: I have that. I, I specifically went for the draft. Um did yep. not I do like the extra stout, I must say, but I don't quite enjoy the texture as much and you know yep. without the without the nitro, it's just not quite as good
0: that's right, and I've got the I got a pint glass here. do you have one too?
1: uh I do indeed it actually took me a surprising amount of time to uh, find one here in the vine pair office. You would imagine as a drinks publication we have more knocking around, but who knows maybe we need more pints.
0: all the glassware is uh far fancier than just your standard <laughs> pint glass all it's right, not well, I'm gonna goodness, give this one poor. All right, here we go. Is it always a good sound. Are we going to make the, the listeners wait 119.5 seconds here? Well, we'll see. There may be some editing magic involved. But, you know, <laughs> while we're pouring, we could talk. I want to talk just a little bit broadly about uh, St. Patrick's Day, Tim, and your your feelings about it as a person of, you know, let's say, non-American extraction. Like, how do you feel about the way it is observed in the United States?
1: In a word baffling
0: <laughs> please elaborate more words
1: <laughs> it's not something that i have ever celebrated you know so for anyone who's not aware i was born in scotland grew up in england but do have irish ancestry as well but it's it was never really a big day i mean if you happen to be out and it happened to be the weekend yeah you'd maybe you'd go for a guinness or whatever but we wouldn't make plans around it you don't see the kind of fancy dress kind of SantaCon-esque you know (laughs) celebration and and everything that unfolds with that too I don't know maybe to be fair I've never been to Ireland for St. Patrick's Day but the fact that it's so big over here I don't know it feels very American that it would be.
0: Yeah I think there's a there's a sort of creating cultural legacy through co-opt- co-opting an existing one is always a, uh, you know, it's a thing that happens here for better or for worse sometimes. <laughs> but I, I think that a thing that is interesting to me about it is like, you know, it's interesting to hear that at least in other parts of the UK or whatever, it's not necessarily a, like the, the all out sort of thing that we see it here, but I do think it's an interesting, you know, like there's an interesting tie in to I think the way that, In particular, not exclusively, but in particular, kind of Irish drinking culture and the Irish pub are such a beloved part of the sort of American drinks landscape tapestry. I don't know whatever poetic language you care to use there, because I think that the you know as kind of in a way that's connected to Guinness in a sense, or, or maybe they're they're interdependent on each other for this. They also are kind of one of these spaces that remain kind of acceptable to so many kinds of drinkers, right? People who might turn their nose up at a at a dive bar quad dive bar will go to essentially the same thing but with the, you know, Irish skin on it and it becomes a kind of a fun outing. And I don't have any problem with that. It's just a just an observation. Also, I finished p- pouring my Guinness. So, with I just finished drinking.
1: pouring mine. Yeah, too. No, yeah, that's a great point. If I can if I can ask you another kind of Guinness related rather than St. Sure. Patrick's Day question. Obviously, we so we're both big fans here. Mm-hmm. Is this a beer that you can go to in any establishment, i.e. you're like, oh, I'm not really sure about it. the selection kind of sucks here, but, oh, they have Guinness. So are is this dependable? Is this like the Negroni of beers, as Negronis would be for a lot of people? <laughs> or are you more looking around the surroundings and being like, hmm, the chances of the Guinness being good here and poured properly, now nah, probably just go for something else.
0: So I think the answer to that is two parts. I think one is a little bit like to crib the advice. In my opinion, that one of the best pieces of advice that Anthony Bourdain ever gave out, which was he was talking in Kitchen Confidential about God, I don't even remember what dish it was, but you know some sort of kind of like weird fish dish, and he was talking about like if you go into a restaurant and they have this on the menu. Like, should you order it? And his advice is like, basically, well, if you see a bunch of other people eating it, if they're making it a lot, then sure, they probably know what they're doing. It's probably good. If no one in the restaurant is eating the like weird, you know, like fish dish, then, you know, probably steer clear. And to me, it's a little bit like, is the Guinness uh, moldering in in a fridge and has perhaps been there for, you know, if it's in a can or bottle and perhaps has been there for months? Or yeah, it's on tap, but like no one seems to be drinking it because it's whatever the people are, you know, crushing Bud Light or whatever. Then okay, maybe it's not the place. Are you in a a bar where you see you know exactly you you see the Geni as you uh point the <laughs> nice term Th- Then uh then yeah, I think it's a great go to. I, I think let's put this way: a poorly poured Guinness is still a perfectly fine beer. It's just I do think that there is a a level of enjoyment and experience you can get out of a, a proper Guinness that you know is always a little disappointing if it, the one you get doesn't meet that standard. Yeah. But I think it depends on, you know, kind of if you're in a place where they can't pour you a proper Guinness, are they going to be able to give you something else that's better? Arguably not. <laughs> just get out of there. Just leave. Well, or just set your expectations correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Drink or drink whiskey meat or something, right? That's harder to fuck up. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point.
1: What are your thoughts on because there is such a thing, right? The perfect pint of Guinness. But for you, what does that look like in terms of the size of the head?
0: Well, so to me, I, I'm i a believer that like a properly poured nitro beer like this should have like between a quarter and a half inch of, of head, maybe up to a, an inch if you're really going for it. But more than that, and you're kind of like, I'm not someone who's like, oh, the foam is where all the flavor is. I mean, I know there are people out there who believe that. And I do think that aromatics and beer get under discussed and that the the head is a great place to kind of capture and savor some of those aromas, but that's more for other kinds of beer. I don't necessarily think it's as true for this. To me, the the appeal of a of a Guinness properly poured is that you get a little bit of that like slight textural contrast between the beer and the head, but that what you're really there to savor is, like I said, that incredibly smooth velvety textured beer that plays out as it also a very kind of almost egg white texture ish Mm -hmm. head but it doesn't overwhelm the beer you know you definitely don't want a big you know two inch head on Guinness at least to me I mean for one that's less Guinness for me to drink which is always a bummer yeah but also it just I think doesn't the ratio doesn't seem right
1: and if you do want to see some very egregious crimes against Guinness in in Maggie's piece near the end she she highlights an Instagram account which is called Shit London Guinness and let me tell you there's some some wild stuff going on out there and that's London so those Londoners should be ashamed of themselves (laughs) (laughs) I when it comes to St. Patrick's Day sorry just to bring it back to that I actually don't have a problem with the people enjoying it like I said I find it baffling I don't really partake myself there is one thing though that should never happen when it's whether it's saint patrick's day or not but in relation to guinness the shamrock in the foam that some people like to pour do
0: not do that that's not how they do it in ireland stop doing that people one last guinness related question for you and then uh we should talk about our tastes real quick and that is so a thing i really liked when i was younger and enjoyed um and i and i still probably would but uh just haven't had in a long time are like your various kind of let's say layered Guinness and other beer or sometimes cider drinks. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh Guinness and uh, like a, a pale ale or something like that. Again, sometimes it's Guinness and cider. Is that something that you, uh, you enjoy? Have you tried those? I've actually never tried that. Um, huh. Never in my
1: life. I, I'm wondering if it's one of those things that sounds like a terrible idea, but is actually surprisingly good. Is that the case or is it, is it, is it bad? So I think it's,
0: it, it, it is good. It is definitely like, you know, it's like how you feel about layered shots and stuff like that. It's kind of like, it's a little gimmicky. I always enjoyed the the Guinness and cider in particular. Like there's some way in which the like, you know, very faint sweetness and crispness of a good like dry cider when kind of with Guinness layered over top of it just didn't it, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's as good as a Guinness, but if you're, if you're drinking them and you want a little change up, I guess, uh, that's, I think a great way to go. I, I enjoy them for sure. I, I don't, they're not my go-to with this beer, but I do enjoy them from time to time. And I used to drink more of them in part because I think I just, I like, you know, they, they look cool, right? It's kind of fun. It's, it's a very distinctive and again, the, the sort of the texture and the relative lightness of Guinness allows it to float atop things that you should not think it would float on. Um, but yeah, you know, Guinness is a, is a, an effervescent drink, I guess you could call it. Does this thing have
1: a name? You know, if I wanted to go and try this at a bar, or do I just explain and I'll be like,
0: "Yeah, sure." So I will say this: I think that my understanding, and again, this is not like I'm not an expert on this, is that the if it's like the um, half Guinness and half pale ale or whatever, it was. It often you'll hear it called like a black and tan, but I think that term is considered like not super right uh, acceptable, and so I think it's often called a half and half, but. Um, I also think black velvet is something I've heard for it when it's with cider. But again, you know, these are like, these were the terms that were used at the Irish bar that I went to in college. They're not like, I'm not sure they're industry standard, but maybe mm-hmm. they are right in podcast at vinepair.com. Let us know <laughs> if this is a thing you've tried and or uh, if you have a name for it, that hopefully is also not offensive. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so okay, we, we've we've talked a lot about Guinness, but like now we're drinking it. Yeah. Any thoughts?
1: Just wonderful, isn't it? Just wonderful. I mean, for me, I don't necessarily go to Guinness for the flavor. It's all about the texture for me. I know that's not a hot take. That's probably like what everyone is doing. But I do like the kind of toasted kind of almost oatmeal character that it has. But yeah, I'm really just looking for that body. And then, you know, the the head mixed with the, the stout itself. It's just it's it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's delicious. I think it gets actually sometimes a bad rap because its flavor isn't super intense. So I agree with you that the texture is a big selling point for me as well. But I appreciate the sort of subtle multi-notes of of a Guinness. It's Mm -hmm. not going to get in your face. But that's great because, again, you know, one of the secrets to Guinness is popular, I think, because it's like 4.2% alcohol, right? You can drink a lot of Guinness. It doesn't feel weighty and heavy the way that a lot of other stouts certainly do because they're just made differently. It's a different kind of beer. and that to me is delightful right there's a, a place for a beer that gives you you know great texture you know frankly great visual appeal nice flavor and you can have three of them and not feel like you're you immediately must lie down and that's that's a big win in my book
1: yeah <laughs> you know they call it a meal in a glass but i think that is I, I you know i think that's a bit of a myth because yeah like to your point you can have a you can have a couple but you know it's not just one and done right you can have a couple exactly. of them but then yeah a nice nap Um, for me the whiskey equivalent of Guinness and this is very apt would be single pot still Irish whiskey which I is something I really really love and it's probably because of my love of Guinness that I really appreciate that Um, yeah yeah but that's another great one for today right
0: the the Guinness is also a great kind of companion to a shot of whiskey because of its smoothness and velvetyness it makes for like great if you're kind of moving back and forth between a slightly punchier more kind of complex interesting Irish whiskey or something like that moving back to the Guinness to kind of reset the palate give you something else to taste is a, is great
1: yeah yeah i it, just regret really i didn't
0: wonder. pour myself whiskey too
1: yeah i know i'm like i got a bottle of red breast 27
0: in the room next door
1: i should have should have planned <laughs> all right, better
0: well, here <laughs> on that note tim i'll let you escape thank you so much for stepping in you'll be you'll be back with us uh for the next couple of episodes at a minimum while uh things progress with with adam and naomi and uh then they're a uh, hopeful new addition to the family so thank you so much for for jumping on and uh i'll talk to you on monday
1: pleasure is all mine zach thank you very much
2: Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now, through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show.